Welcome to the Breathe Life Podcast. I'm Fahim Mujahid, a Miami-based integrative health and life coach, fitness and nutrition expert, personal trainer, and private yoga and meditation teacher. Each week, we'll explore meaningful content surrounding the importance and impact of living a life of mindfulness or inspiring interviews with the same intention. Together, we'll incorporate a variety of topics given with the same intention to educate, enrich, and inspire one's life. Welcome home. touch on something that's resonating with me and and with hopes that it may connect with you guys on a receiving end. I think any time that I set out to communicate or to share my purpose or what I believe my purpose to be, I really hope that it adds a little bit of fulfillment to the lives of whomever's listening or receiving it on the opposite end. So I know I missed a week of recording with you guys. I had so much goodness going on that I apologize for my absence, but nonetheless, I'm back. Uh, Today's show, we're going to spend time talking a lot about loneliness. And I know you guys are probably thinking, oh, God, (laughs) but bear with me a little bit. Um, and not just loneliness as it com- as it as it relates to trying to identify or root it out of your own life and identifying whether or not you are someone that is lonely or if you know anyone in your immediate circle that's lonely. Uh, but it's to speak to is to speak more importantly to um, a study that I came across recently, and it really inspired me to think differently about the idea of. Of, of loneliness and depression and anxiety and how all these things are, are connected. And I'll give you guys some insight in, in, as to what inspired that thought. What, what put me on this road towards discussing loneliness with you guys today? What studies was I able to kind of anchor a lot of the feedback or the support for this show? What, what studies I, I was able to tie a lot of that feedback to? Um, but more importantly, I think whenever you feel called to share information about something, I think you should speak to that. You know, one of the things I want to share with you guys before we kind of get back into um, the content of what we're going to discuss um, today, I wanted to share with you guys, some of you may or may not know, depending on how or what platform you follow me on, but you know, I recently had an opportunity, speaking of loneliness, I recently had an opportunity to develop content for something that I wanted to create or to manifest called Tribal Talks. What I was noticing is at the beginning of this year, as a as a tribute to my sister, I committed time, energy, and resources into creating Miami's first mass meditation gathering. Now, there was a lot of things that I realized that I had to uncover, a lot of stories that I had to remold and reshape within my life in order for me to step into that purpose, right? I think up until that point, I had... I I had been blessed enough to own and operate my own private training studio here in Miami, Florida for about seven years. And I was working privately before opening this location. But what I realized is that in my studio, a lot of the work that I was doing was very secular and very private and very intimate, which is great because it really just kind of spoke to my personality and where I was at that part of my journey. So it was terrifying in some extent. There was a lot of fear-based thinking. There was a lot of anxiety, a lot of self-doubt when it came to cultivating the opportunity or the community that I felt was yearning for these mass meditation talks, I mean, or mass meditation moments or events. You know, I looked everywhere and I was hopefully trying to seek out other people with whom I could garner the responsibility to, to where I wouldn't have to take it on my own. You know, I knew it would take a tremendous amount of courage to step out of there, step step out of my realm of being comfortable 
to really stepping into what I felt my purpose was being called to. You know, and, and just like anything else, when you when you create something or you communicate something that comes from a loving place, there's a degree of vulnerability that comes with that. So, you know, when I set out and, you know, I put together this event and I was just so nervous about the first time and where I wanted to have it, I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted everyone to be able to come and experience and, and be within each other's company and, and promote the tools and the conversation around mindfulness. But because it was a mass meditation, I wanted to create an opportunity to use the power of meditation for everyone to be able to come together and vibrate on a completely different level. And of course, I had all the information and studies and all that stuff that supported it. So being a, a life coach, but being a meditation teacher as well, I felt like it was a really unique and beautiful opportunity to sh showcase more or less um, the opportunity for people to connect in a mindful way here in Miami. I think that's something that's often overlooked, at least in my opinion, when it came to how our cities represent it. So I really wanted to take this opportunity to do that. So what I started realizing, um, I was blessed to realize that the opportunity was there. People were yearning for the same thing that I wanted. And people showed up and really supported it. I believe at our first event, we had over 100 people. And then at the second, we had about 80 or something. Um, but the need and the desire there was something that we were able to express and share and connect collectively. And what, what I found to be really cool is that throughout the Breathe Life Mass Meditations events, I created a unique opportunity somewhere in between the beginning and the end for us to have what I, I titled a community share opportunity. And what it was, it, it gave us a unique opportunity to find cool ways to connect with each other. So what I would do is I started off with like printing out like statements on the on the on the board. And if you follow me on Instagram, you, you know what I'm referring to. But I would put these statements up and I would ask and see if it resonated with anyone in the audience. And then people came up and shared as to as far as what part of it resonated with them the most. And what I really started to realize is that although the meditation was powerful, although the opportunity to be able to come together in that communal environment was insanely enriching, everyone yearned for a safe place, a brave space from which they can share openly to their community. And I started realizing because people just kept grabbing the microphone and jumping up and sharing. And it was it was just so dope because I was, it, you know, I was taken aback because, you know, you know that people were coming up who probably never really had the opportunity or had the courage more or less to come and communicate and share themselves in that, in that way. So, you know, it really started the thought process to how can we create more opportunities where we can come together and share together? Couple that with it's a followed up with that another experience I had where I was on a panel at the Lemon event, and it was talking about masculinity. But what I really liked about this opportunity is that it gave everyone on the panel, me included, an opportunity to separate into subsections. And in these subgroups, I'm sorry, you had an opportunity to really kind of dive in and really lean into the conversation with, let's say, ten or fifteen people that were part of the overall event. And, you know, I remember someone that was a part of my group stood up and he was like, all right, well, how do we push this conversation forward? 
we talked a lot about masculinity and what it means to be vulnerable and what it means to be open and how do we change how do we change the nucleus of the foundation of our community right how do we take all the magic and all the imprint that we're all t- discussing and all the stuff that we're sharing and how do we bleed that into our community and I remember telling him well it's up to us to hold each other accountable to make sure that we're taking action steps and we're choosing to be a part of this act- active discussion and we're not checking out but we're checking in and he looked at me and he's like okay so then what are you doing about it and I was like touche okay so you know after I picked my face up or my jaw up from the ground I said you know what give me 24 hours and I'm going to come up with an opportunity that I think will be a really unique opportunity for us to be able to come come together and share and that really started me down the journey of taking this breathe life concept of mass meditation and finding a way to bring that same loving energy into a smaller, more intimate environment. And instead of creating a space for people to be talked to, I wanted to create an experience where people can come and be talked around and together and share and grow with each other. A place that, yeah, although we had a panel, um, they were there to encourage the conversation, a place where everyone had a voice and everyone was encouraged because I felt like I was being called to create this opportunity. And more importantly, I felt like we needed it. You know, so those two things coincided with really just trying to see how I could be creative and how I can kind of give more thought to creating a unique opportunity to do this or to do uh, to create an event where we can cultivate the kind of energy that I want to create. And when I set out to find a venue, I was blessed to find um, the love and support of um, historic or what I what I what I would call a historic coffee house here in Miami that represents Miami through and through here at Panther Coffee. You know, I had put the filters out and had matches matches their team to see if they would be open to it. And they were so, so, so down for for the for the conversation. And they wanted to create a loving environment to do that. So that was really cool. But all those things were both of those things were driving forces that went behind me creating or feeling following the purpose to create this idea of tribal talks. Although both of those things were powerful. The thing that really, really resonated and really kind of sparked this with me or within me the most was a comment or a statement that I read in, in, in a book that I was reading. And what it said is, this is a study that was done, right? It says, the things that we used to do together as a community, right? As our community. So you think about wherever community you're in right now. So the things that we used to do together as a community, like, like taking your kids to school or school functions or community cookouts or bowling leagues or run groups or walk groups or the things that we used to do in the community back in the 60s, 70s, what they were able to do is, however they were able to, to, to measure it, they found that in the short years between 1985 and 1994, the active involvement in our community organizations fell by 45%. 45%. So in, just a, so, so in just a decade, the years around the time that, you know, I was going into my teenage years, you know, a lot of the ways in which we would commune and connect with one another 
a lot of the ways that we would in, engage with each other. As a community, we were choosing to drop out of those opportunities and we were tuning inward. And they say, although that the although these trends were trends that were happening since the 1930s, when they look back and were able to measure, you know, measure community and loneliness and stuff like that. Although a lot of these things started happening around the U.S. in the 1930s, it started to make a huge shift between 1985 and 1994. And the reason why that was so important is because I've been. I've been studying a lot of psychology lately and I've been reading a lot about depression and anxiety. And what they were able to find is that not only does loneliness in and of itself set the stage from which depression and anxiety usually stem from, but as a society, we're doing more things creating in our culture that promotes loneliness in and of itself. So not only do we have, or not only are we being encouraged to inspire that connection with one another, we're, we're having fewer and fewer opportunities from which to do so, or by which to do so, if that makes any sense. So that kind of really started coming across that, that stat and reading that really just kind of sparked, okay, Fossil, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? Is this another, is this another piece of information that you put on your tool belt as far as another thing that you know, and you know what's going on and you're staying informed and all that, or, or is it your responsibility to, to, to do something about it? You know, it's times where, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I go back and forth and like, do, you know, do you really want to put forth the effort and the energy and the time and, the, and invest all that stuff it takes, you know, and the resources to create these opportunities that, you know, are important, you know, why not just delegate it? And what I realized is that, you know, whenever you feel called to do something, whenever you feel like something just it's just shifting you from within and it's pulling you in a certain direction. Although it may take a lot of energy and a lot of effort, you owe it to yourself to seek that through to the end. So when it came to putting together this tribal talk, I wasn't looking for another thing to create another responsibility and yet another thing on my to-do list. I was actually pretty quite, I was actually quite content with doing these three mass meditations a year because of the amount of effort and energy it took to really show up and really put together something that I thought was meaningful. But I could not overlook how at every turn and every opportunity, I was finding ways or I was finding things that was communicating to me that people really need more time to talk. They really need more time to connect. As a society, not only are we drifting more apart, but we're yearning for those opportunities to connect to that human connection more and more. So I took the lead and I decided to create this opportunity and so many people came out and it was a really just dope experience and everyone showed up really well and me being the old me being a perfectionist, I looked at the opportunity for growth, right? Looking at what I felt like was being shared and, and the feedback of everyone who attended and going into it with an open mind, checking the ego and saying, okay, where are some areas that we can improve this experience? So I wanna talk a little bit about the idea of loneliness and, and, and our responsibility, our responsibility as a community that we have wherever you are 
if you're listening to this podcast, and I would imagine it's because you have a degree of awareness, or maybe there's something within you um, that you feel like you are called to act in a way that's more aligned with your purpose. Maybe you don't know your purpose. Maybe you you're receiving this information on your end and you're trying to then start your thought process as far as how you can create more opportunities within your community. Maybe you're hesitant because you're not sure if you're the one that's supposed to lead this journey or you're supposed to, I don't know, maybe fall along the lines of someone else that's doing it. You know, here, here's what I will say is that I've said this hundreds of times and I'll say it probably a million times before I, I, I leave this planet, hopefully, is that I believe that the universe communicates through friction and through flow. You know, whatever you feel called to, whatever you feel aligned to, drawn to, that's flow, go in that direction. And if you're finding an opportunity or if you're finding something that needs to be created or that you would wish would be in place so that you can share in that experience and you find that it's not there, create it. Create it. And yes, it may require more work and more attention to detail and more effort on your end. But what you're going to find is that stepping into that role, although it may not be perfect, you're going to find people, like-minded people who really appreciate the sacrifice and the commitment and the time that you made to do it. You know, don't get me wrong. This first tribal talk was not anywhere near perfect. Luckily, I had two phenomenal spirits as panelists and they were able to kind of smooth any of the, the rough edges that I had and really took the experience to the next level. But I was easily drawn towards where I could improve. As a community, we came together and that was dope and we shared and we grew and it was an open conversation. You left feeling like you were in a conversation with family and friends and less like a workshop kind of feel, which is definitely what I wanted to promote. But make no mistakes, it was far from perfect. There were tons of opportunities that I saw where I was like, all right, Fah, you could do that differently. So before we go into kind of like the whole the numbers and all that other stuff that shows and, and, and it speaks to the importance of loneliness. I figured we should use loneliness as the power, the power word for this show today. As I mentioned before, every show I'm going to highlight a word. So today's word is going to be loneliness. And if you look up loneliness in the dictionary, you're going to see it's a noun. But your number one, the number one definition is sadness because one has no friends or company. Feelings of depression and loneliness, symptoms, isolation, lack of friends, companions, forsakenness, abandonment, rejection. Wow, there's a lot there, right? So I think even the most even-spirited, well-balanced, mindful person on the planet, we've all at some point experienced loneliness, especially coming up in our newfound society, which promotes the whole, I can do it alone, I can walk it alone mentality. But it always, but it wasn't always that way, right? This idea that we've promoted for a long time now, it wasn't always that way. It wasn't, you know, in fact, you know, if you really, if you really just kind of just fall in love with the process of learning, like learn the history, you know, not just your own personal history, but the history of us as human beings. And you realize that, you know, it's, it's been proven that we've all as human beings evolved from the savannas of Africa. And we lived in small hunter-gatherer tribes, a few hundred people or less, right? And in these tribes, you all existed in a way that required that we really relied and depended upon each other for survival. 
right? We had to learn how to coexist and cooperate with one another. We shared food. We looked after each other. You know, we needed to come together strategically in order to take down large animals, right? It was only through working together that we were able to not only thrive, but, but succeed. And we were able to take the human beings that we be- that we are beautifully and evolve over time. It was through that, it was through that sense of the group, the importance of group, right? And if you look back in every agricultural society we know came from the same basic structure. Nature in and of itself is connection. So now just envision for for a minute. So now envision that we're in that we're in the savannah again and you become separated from a group that you belong to. So you're no longer connected, you're no longer protected by the people within your tribe. What did that what did that mean? Again, placing you back in that experience, what would that have felt like? But more importantly, what would what would that have meant for you? It meant you it would have meant you were more at you're at you're more um, accessible to being someone's prey. You're at you're higher, you increased your rate of danger. Right? If you you were more vulnerable to predators, you know, if you got sick, no one was there to help nurse or care for you. But I think the most important piece that when you go back and you look at how as hunter and gatherers, we were brought up in that importance of community and connection. The piece that I feel gets missed a lot or overlooked a lot is that, yeah, it would impact you to be without your tribe, but it would also equally impact your tribe because your tribe in in and of itself became more vulnerable without you. Because again, everyone had a role. So we have to look at the origins from which we were created and understand that we as human beings, our instincts, our instincts is honed not for life alone, but is honed for us to be able to connect, to develop, to prosper in the tribe. Humans needs, human beings need, we need communities, we need tribes, just as, just as importantly as bees need beehives, right? It's in our nature. And I think what we have to realize when you look at when you look at the, 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 the makeup of our society now, the huge influx and increase of loneliness, you know, it's it works in completely opposite of what we're encoded to want to achieve or to or we're drive towards or we're at our best when. All of those things come from a sense of community and connection. You know, there was a study that was done, and I and I'll I'll reference the I'll reference the uh, the scientist in a minute, and I apologize for forgetting. I believe it. I think it was John. Let me check some of the notes that I have, and I apologize. Um, so that so that the scientist's name, first name was John, last name. Last name was Capoccio, I believe. Please forgive me. But anyway, what he and his team was able to do, and I apologize, and I'll make sure before the end of the show I'll reference his name correctly. So I apologize to you, sir. But they were able to measure with using uh, a heart rate monitor and collecting saliva from, from individuals. They were able to measure 
the impact of loneliness. They took a group of people who felt somewhat secluded, somewhat separate from the community, and they measure that in comparable and compared it against people who within the same community felt very connection, very much connected, whether they had large families or large friend groups or what have you. And they compared the heart rate and the saliva. Why saliva? Because with the saliva, they were able to determine the degrees of increase of cortisol, the hormone that was in their saliva. And what they found is that all of those individuals who felt separated, who felt lonely, whenever they were in those moments of experiencing that loneliness, that hormone cortisol soared at, at eight at a times of anywhere between eight to ten times its rate. Not only that, but they found that becoming acutely lonely was as stressful as experiencing a physical attack. So think about that for a second. What they're saying is that what they were able to uncover is that the degree in which you arrive at a place where you're where you're acutely lonely, the stress that that puts on your hormonal system and your body, it, it's it's equivalent to experiencing a physical attack. So if you if you simplify that, being deeply lonely or being lonely to that extent causes as much stress to your body as being punched by a stranger, uh, being punched by a stranger, the physical impact it has. You know, there was another professor or scientist named Sheldon Cohen, and he carried a study and he and what was really cool about his experience or his experiment, and I found this to be very captivating, is that he carried the same thing. He was trying to study the effects of loneliness or lack of loneliness, and he put together the same group of individuals, right? He took a group of individuals that, just like the previous study, felt very secluded, very alone, isolated, and then he put that in, in, in opposition or put that up against a group of people who felt connected and very much surrounded and loved and all that by people or connected to the community. And what they found is that they introduced, they then introduced a code virus, right? So it's a virus that causes the code, right? And what they found is that people who felt removed, who felt isolated were, were contracting the virus, the code virus at a times of three to 4% three to four times, I'm sorry, percent, three to four times more likely to contract the co-virus than those who felt connected. I mean, that's insane when you think about it. Like you think about loneliness and how it shows up. Again, we all experience it to one degree or the other, and some of us experience it at more heightened levels than each other. But without a doubt, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, one thing that we can say unequivocally is that the environment that we're in consistently is it does very little to promote connection with one another and it does more to promote isolation from each other. And we'll get into the whole internet thing and, and how, you know, and how all the technology has in a lot of ways drawn us closer in other ways it has done more to help us become even more secluded from one another. And we'll explain about that a little bit later, but getting back to the, to getting back to the study that the professor Cohen had did with the whole cold case and people catching the cold virus. I just thought I was just so, I was just so taken aback by that. Like you don't necessarily, if you're not thinking about it, you wouldn't imagine that something like loneliness would impact 
right? You see that loneliness causes depression and anxiety and stress, but you don't necessarily correlate it between putting a group in a lab and that group contracting a code virus four times higher than someone that feels more connected just because you feel isolated. You know, I take it, I'll take it one a step further. So another scientist named Lisa Berkman, she also followed that isolated versus connected people. And what she determined is that over nine years, so over a nine year period, she wanted to determine whether one side was more likely to got more likely to die earlier than the other group. And wouldn't you have it, or wouldn't you know, the isolated group was two to three times more likely to die during that same time period. And not only that, but almost everything becomes fatal when you feel alone, when you have that sense of loneliness, you're more susceptible to cancer, heart disease, respiratory problems. Now again, do your, do your, do your own research. I always encourage people who listen, or if there's ever information that comes across, you, you know, don't weigh it or hold it close to the vest off of just face value. Do your own research. I'm just sharing with you guys information that I've come across and I was just dumbfounded by it. Like it's, it's one thing to be like, you know what? I feel sometimes I kind of feel like as a society, we're not doing as many things as we used to do as a community. But it's another thing to kind of like see the statistics in your face and you're like, whoa. When you see the hard facts and it's showing up in your face, you're like, all right, so how are you gonna be a part of the solution? At least that's how things show up in my life. You know, I remember, and it's not to get too far off the subject, but I remember when I moved to Miami. And prior to being in Miami, I had been blessed with the opportunity to live in Seattle, Washington, Berkeley, California, a lot of areas that felt very much communal. And I remember coming to Miami and I always equated Miami to what Miami didn't have with the things I didn't feel, what I felt Miami was lacking. And I always had some kind of like story to say about that, right? It was always on like the top of my share of topics, whether I was at a a venue or whether I was having a conversation with someone, just kind of like hitting it off, or it was just always on the tip of my mind. And it wasn't until I, I became a father, by the grace of God, that I really realized that, you know, my son's not gonna benefit from my stories about Berkeley, California, right? And I'm not saying that there's other areas in the United States with it, with from which the the society norm of loneliness or 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 feeling secluded doesn't impact. But what I'm saying is that when I moved to Miami, whereas in those other areas, I felt more connected to the community. I didn't feel like it was here initially. And instead of doing and being more proactive about creating that, building that. I came more from a place of complaining about what was lacking, right? My mindset was creating it more and more and manifesting that as a reality. So I say that to say, when you look at a lot of these numbers and you look at the hard facts about where it's showing up in our society and the direction in which we're going, the direction in which we're going, it's up to us, those who are aware of that information to take action steps so that we can offset this messaging. You know, when you think about when you think about the degree of the degree of which we're as a society doing more things and more things alone, 
you know, we're, we're reverting into these displays and, and online games and, and online creations and Facebooks and all that and Instagrams and all that stuff, which is great. But in a lot of ways, if, if you're bringing another tool in a society that's already somewhat unhealthy and it's already feeling somewhat unloved and un, unworthy and lonely, then all it's going to do is create another opportunity for us to be able to check out of the real world and check and and check into this and into this internet IT realm of existing, which again, it has its pros and cons. I'm not sitting here trying to bash it because I'm talking to you guys on iTunes. But what I'm saying is there's an opportunity for us to be able to do the work so that we create an environment that's conducive of the world that we want to live in. And we have to start with the fact that a lot of this self-prophesizing, the, the, the value of being alone and doing it alone and being by ourselves and not needing anyone, a lot of that information, a lot of that messaging is bullshit. Excuse my French. So it's up, it's up to us to be able to start taking action steps. So not only are lonely people or people who, you know, technically, so for people who feel lonely, lonely people are more likely to become depressed and anxious, right? Depressed and anxious individuals become more afraid of the world and are less, less likely to interact socially. Right. So when you allow that that same individual that at the time that the same person feels lonely and then becomes more depressed and more anxious, instead of going towards the connection, communal connection. Right. They begin to feel more afraid of social interaction, more afraid of the world in general. They retreat from it. And when does that do that increases loneliness and increases depression? And then that loneliness precedes the depressive symptoms that come from that. Right. So it was also another study that I came across and and I'm always reading it, which is why I'm coming across a lot of this information. And it was in a a book that I've read um, by Joe Inhara called Lost Connections. Beautiful book. Highly recommend it. And there was a uh, there was a scholar. I'm not in, in a professor that put together a study. And I and I again, I apologize for misrepresenting it. But what they were able to do is they were able to put the loneliness on a range from zero to five, right? If you're at zero, that means you show zero signs of loneliness. And if you're at 50, I'm sorry, zero to 50. If you're at 50, that means you were chronically depressed or chronically um, at a state of loneliness. And what they found is on that scale, zero to 50, that as soon as you got past that middle point, right, in between, let's say 25, 26, 27, whatever, as soon as you got beyond a certain point where you started getting closer to that 65%, 75% of loneliness on that Richter scale or on that scale between zero to 50, your chances of being depressed increased by eight times, all, all due to where you fell along the line of that loneliness scale, right? So if you think about that for a second, if you think about how, in a lot of ways, how, how much depression and anxiety is is being metastasizing in our community right now, you think about how much of that stemmed from this this idea or this or this reality of feeling alone and feeling detached from each other. You know, and one of the things when I was and I know it's probably not the best topic or the most exciting topic to talk about, but it's an important topic. 
And one of the things that really just kind of opened my eyes to this whole thing about why it's important to create opportunities for us to be able to come together and commune together is because I read something about loneliness. And it said that those people or those of us who feel lonely at times, we all do, I believe, but at different times, at different moments of our lives, when we feel that sense of loneliness, the degree of dread and alertness is triggered and it pushes us back. It pushes us away from the group, right? We have more of an incentive to see people as a threat as opposed to welcome people into our lives, welcome people into our tribe. So we create the adverse conditions from which we want to promote the connection and we become more recluse. We, we draw ourselves away from connecting with other people. So the thing that, that drives us or the thing that would bring us more fulfillment and more peace and more joy terrifies us. You know, evolution is fashion dust or when you look at, again, us as human beings, we've been designed to not only feel good when we're connected, but to feel secure. You know, the same professor that I referenced at the beginning, um, John uh, Cappuccino, uh, I believe I'm, I'm shredding his name and I apologize. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on my, on the header, so I apologize. But one of his most recent, one of his most recent studies was a really, he had a really cool way of measuring um, loneliness. And what he found is that there was a small community um, somewhere, in, somewhere in, the, in the Dakotas called the Hutaneris. And they were an Amish farming community. And they were very close, a very religious community. You know, they lived off their land, they worked, they eat together, they relaxed, they worshiped together. And what he found is that by studying micro awakenings, so what those are, I know you guys are probably like, what the hell is that? So what micro awakenings are, so as they're defined, they're defined as small moments when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't recall it. So imagine someone that's always kind of like restless throughout the night. And what they were able to find is that they were able to link those micro awakenings to loneliness, to the degree in which based off of the degree or the extent of those awakenings that you were having when measured, they could then determine the degree in which someone was, was, uh, was suffering from or dealing with degrees of loneliness. And what they found is that this Amish town in the Dakotas was the least lonely community in the U.S., which I thought was really just insane, right? And I'm like, I'm booking my ticket tomorrow to go check this tribe out. But the fact that you can measure it through the sleep cycle, which is another way in which our body just has a profound way of communicating. And I thought about it, and, and luckily he expanded upon it. But what he said is that all other animals have the same thing when they feel isolated. You know, when you take any animal from its animal group, from its tribe, the same things ensue, right? The lack of rest, not being able to get steady, meaningful rest. And he said it, it, it results from the extent in which we don't feel safe. We literally don't feel safe when we're not connected and we're away from our tribe. We feel as if no one has our back, right? So this tribe in the Dakotas, they feel so connected, so, so, so unified in a way, where those moments of micro awakenings 
show up very, very rare, very rarely, if at all. So what he was able to conclude is that loneliness isn't just some inevitable human sadness like death. It's a product that stems from the way in which we live now. Right. So it's the way we live, it's the way we go about our day that either promotes this separateness or we can use an opportunity to promote connect connection with one another. So, you know, my whole idea for jumping on here and sharing with you guys today was it to have you go out into your world and just kind of think about, wow, you know, this is a down topic. Who wants to talk about loneliness? But it was to, it was to share some insight, share some insight into the responsibility that we have to be able to create a community where we're checking in with one another, not checking out. You know, so just as all this stuff and all the social media and all that stuff is great, it's a great opportunity. In some ways, we're more connected than ever. In other ways, we're, we've, we've never been more apart. So what I was hoping to create with this Tribal Talk, and I hope to promote throughout my life and the legacy that I leave, is I want to cultivate a community where everyone feels comfortable coming together. And I strongly encourage you guys on the receiving end of this to find some inspiration and, and, and something that I was able to share with you guys and, and do your own homework and do your own research. Don't just take my word for it, but start doing some research on the connection between loneliness and depression and anxiety. And, and just think about if this is the legacy that we want to continue to promote. Is this the culture that we want to continue to promote? When you look and you see the rate of suicide going up, when you when you see a lot of these young men going in and, and blowing up this and that, and you, you're seeing these beautiful women um, that are being brought up to think that the value is, is only to be had in their sexuality or their bodies, you know, you're finding a society that measures itself off the degrees of likes and, and, and we're always refreshing our, our, our feed, um, hoping to hoping to get reassurance of our value and our worth by the amount of likes or mentionings that we're getting. That speaks to the degree of which we don't feel connected. We don't feel validated. Right. And I'm not saying that it becomes a responsibility of the community for us to to be given those things. No, that's still the work that we have to do. But I think we have a unique and a beautiful opportunity to cultivate the space from which we produce a lot of those things that we want to create within our within our world and, and, and the legacy that we lead to the next generation. So I hope I hope you guys can kind of find the beauty and the excitement in it. I think it's like I think it's I think it's a it's a really, really, really cool time to to have this information and to take action step towards it. Because just as I found with the tribal talks is that if you create something meaningful and beautiful for the right reasons, it'll attract the right people. And I was reading something now, share this and I'll let and I'll let you guys go. I was reading something earlier today. Right before I, I started my day after my meditation. And it said that it only takes, regardless of the mass amount of people, or it only takes 25% to shift, to completely shift the paradigm of how that community expresses and experiences life. Right? So if we want to shift the narrative, if we want to shift the way we show up, if we want to shift what it means to be a community, be a connection, and, and connect with one another and enrich the lives of each other, 
we don't have to necessarily focus on rechanging the way 7.53 billion people understand it. A number that was, I think it was last registered in 2017, so I'm sure it's more in it now. But we don't have to convince or to breathe that possibility into 7.53 billion people. We only need 25% of that. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you guys figure the math out. You guys, you guys are the geniuses on the other end. I'm not smart enough to figure out that math. But 25% of 7.53 billion is all we need, and it starts with one. So each one, teach one, take inspiration, find it, use the flow of the energy and promote the dialogue and the conversation. And if you're in Miami once a month, come check us out at the Tribal Talk. Again, we're just trying to, you know, we're just trying to figure this stuff all out together. No one really has the answers. We're just creating a platform where we can have the discussion. So I'm going to try my best to put two shows up here this week because I want to make up and I have a lot of stuff that I want to share and uncover. Again, I felt really moved and called to what was showing up for me in my life. And I felt called to just kind of shed light on loneliness. And although it's something that's registering to us um, on a universal level, I think it's something that we can welcome into our lives and start changing the discussion so that we can create an environment that supports more of the stuff that we want in our lives and we want in our communities, right? So that's the first one for today or for this week. And I hope to be able to come up with one or put one, put another one out probably later on this week. But in the meantime, guys, like always, I really hope that there was something in this, in this, in this expression today or this conversation today that was that you guys would be able to take into your lives and to breathe more love and more life to what you're doing. Keep rocking, guys. You guys are, are crushing it wherever you are. Know that you have my love and my support, whatever you're doing. Let's push the conversation forward. Breathe life. Hey, Tribe. So if you're excited about the Breathe Life content and you want to find other ways to stay connected, the next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, be sure to type in Fahim Jahid or Breathe Life into the search bar and check out 